0: How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? The Lord is good. Good to see each and every one of you here today. Today we begin our new series, The Power to Produce Wealth. I want to say a couple things to you before we jump into the Word. First thing I want to say to you, right from the outset, is that it's so important that you believe that God desires to give you the power to produce wealth. Because if you don't believe it, you're only stuck with two options. One, embracing poverty. And two, building wealth without God. And so if even the notion of God giving you the power to produce wealth sounds heretical to you, you've got a problem. Because now you're either going to build wealth without God, or you're going to embrace poverty. Second thing I want to say to you, mm-hmm. you'll get so much more out of this series if you do it with a community. Yes. Doing it by yourself is like trying to play tennis by yourself. Yes. You'll hit the ball over the net, but then you got to run to the other side and hit it back to yourself. Yes. You get real tired real quick. Yes. So just grab a couple friends. If you're not already in a community group, Right out at the Connection Center, there's a stack of community group processes for today's sermon. Just grab one and go through that process with two or three friends yep. and just let us know. And the last thing I'll say to you is that I believe this series is going to change our lives yep. Amen. because there's some things that have been holding you up yep. that God wants to release Amen. and break you free. So Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we settle our hearts and minds before you, as we quiet our souls in your presence, we invite you to come and grant clarity and speak to us by the power of your word and spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. We're going to go through this passage of scripture every week over the next six weeks. It's that important. It's the core to this entire series. And it says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. Notice the tenor of this entire passage. First of all, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say follow these three steps and then God's gonna give you breakthrough blessing. It's not even about how to obtain blessing from God. The coming blessing in this passage of Scripture is a done deal, it's not even a question. You're gonna be blessed. You're getting ready to dwell in fine houses and your gold and silver is going to be increased. This is what Moses is saying to the people of Israel out there in the wilderness. You're getting ready to go into the promised land regardless of whether you even want to or not. The blessing of God is a foregone conclusion. You're going to get it. The only question in this passage is when you get it, are you going to remember God? What if we lived our lives like that? What if the only question in our heart was not, is God going to bless me? Sorry. What if we stopped praying about getting blessed and instead focused our prayers on, Lord, when I do get blessed, please help me not to forget you. Like, what if that was where your faith was like, God, I know you're going to increase me. I know you're going to bless me. I know you're going to break through in my life. I know you've got blessings planned for me that I could never even dream up for myself. I know that you're getting ready to do exceedingly abundantly and beyond anything I could ever ask or imagine. You, never will you leave me. Never will you forsake me. So I'm going to give no thought to tomorrow because tomorrow, good Lord Jesus, I hate these things so much. What if we stopped giving thought to blessing and simply assumed that it was coming? Just simply assumed. Of course, God's going to bless me. He who who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Of course, God's going to bless me. Of course, he's going to. I'm his child. Why would he not? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father go on giving His Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, if you know how to bless your kids, you think God doesn't know how to bless His kids? What if we just removed all doubt and all question and instead simply focused our hearts and minds on the fear of the Lord and said, Lord, guard my heart so that when you bless me, I don't forget you. But in the midst of this, he makes this statement in verse 18. That's so powerful. First he says in verse 16 and 17, you might be tempted to look at all of the wealth that you acquire and say, in verse 17, my hands have acquired this wealth for me. My power and, strength and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Somebody said, why do you thank God when you're the one who did the work? And the answer is, from whence cometh the ability to do the work? I have nothing that I haven't received from God. But he says, remember the Lord your God, in verse 18, for it is He who gives you the power That word there in the Hebrew is power. God gives you power. And he gives you power to produce. And he gives you power to produce wealth. Did you know, number one, that there's two types of wealth on this earth, divine and demonic, and that God has called every one of us To be producers of divine wealth. We're going to start today with that word produce. The power to produce wealth. The Hebrew word is asa. 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 It means to do, to make. Or to create, to do, to make, or to create. So, if you go back to the Genesis narrative, Elohim, hashamayim wa In the beginning, God bara created the heavens and the earth. How did He create? heavens and the earth. Well, Asa, he made the firmament and separated the waters above from the waters beneath. He separated the sea from the dry ground. He made a great light in the sky, the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. The light he called day, the darkness he called night. He made, Asa, over and over again. He made, he made, Asa, he made, he made, Asa, he made, he made, the heavens and the earth were made by God, created by God. And then now Moses says to the children of Israel, God gives you the power to make, to create. The same thing God did when he created, you do that when you create wealth. God created the heavens and the earth, and when God created the heavens and the earth, He created wealth for Himself. The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. It belongs to Him. It's His wealth. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to Him. It's His wealth. Everything that God made, He created wealth for Himself. God is the wealthiest being of all beings because He created all beings to be His wealth but now god gives you the power to create wealth the power to create or to produce wealth my phone is acting up there's a couple of scriptures i want to draw your attention to genesis 1:7 then god made the firmament asa 116 god made two great lights 125 god made the beasts of the earth 126, God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. So first, God makes, but then secondly, God infuses within creation the power of divine creativity. Genesis 111, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass. When it says bring forth, it's asah. Let the earth make grass the herb that yields or makes seed. And let the fruit tree that yields fruit or makes fruit according to its kind whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. So God infuses within the creative order the power to procreate. To reproduce. The creative power that God gives to all of creation is the ability to reproduce after its own kind. He gives it to all of the plants and the trees of the field. He gives it all to all of the animals and the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. God infuses within the entire creative order the power to create with Him by reproducing after their own kind. And then in 126, He says, Now let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. And so God climbs down into the dust of the ground, forms Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. And Adam at that moment is the most glorious being that God has yet created because he is the first being created in the image and likeness of God. But at this moment, he is the most miserly. At this moment, he is the most miserly being On the plane of creation. Why? Because by himself he is the only being who lacks the power to reproduce. Adam is the only non creative being on planet Earth because he's by himself. The birds of the air can create, the field, even the plants have more power than Adam at this point. And when God brings everything to Adam and says, Name it. The purpose is to provoke Adam to jealousy. Because they all have something that I don't have. And so God creates Eve as Adam's rescuer from his miserly condition. First question is, why does God play this trick on Adam? You think God didn't think of Eve until he noticed that Adam was lonely? Sometimes the smartest person in your group is the least successful. Sometimes the most gifted person you know is the least accomplished. Late bloomers. You might be the least successful person you know, but you might be the most glorious on the inside. Adam is the most gifted but the least accomplished in all of creation. Why? Because God has destined him for something more. And when God has destined you for something more he often withholds what he's given to everyone else to provoke you to jealousy. To bring you to that place where you start longing for something more. All Adam wants is a counterpart so that he can do what the beasts of the field do. Procreate. So that he can do what the trees and the plants do. Reproduce. All Adam wants is to reproduce but God has something more in mind for Adam and Eve and there's this Lingering period in which he does not allow Adam to succeed because he wants to make a point. And here's the point. I don't care how glorious you are, Adam. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care how rational you are. I don't care how much power and authority you are by yourself. You are nothing. And you were not designed to fulfill my purpose for your life as a lone ranger by yourself on an island by yourself. I have embedded into the very experience of your humanity the truth that you are not and cannot fulfill your destiny alone. And so what does God say? In Genesis 126, Let us make man in our own image and likeness And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. We're going to give them dominion over everything else we created. Yes, they're going to have the power to reproduce like everything else, but in addition to the creative power of reproduction, we're going to give them dominion. And that word dominion means to tread upon, to trample. But it also means to punish or to chastise. But the meaning here, I believe, is a third meaning, to discipline. Which means to bring order when something gets out of order. And then to rearrange things in a way that they've never been arranged in before. So as to bring something new out of something old. Adam and Eve, the two of you are going to take dominion over your environment, and that's how you're going to produce wealth. By taking dominion over your environment, which means when you see something out of order in your environment, I've given you the authority to bring it into order. And secondly, you're going to rearrange things in new ways to bring about new things that were never thought about before. The story of the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city. The garden was always destined to become the city. All of the technology of the modern age, do you think it wouldn't have happened had Adam and Eve not sinned and eaten the fruit? You think we'd still be in loincloth would be naked in the garden walking around eating fruit from trees and swimming with animals? No, the garden would always become the city. There would have even been greater technology that would have come out of the human race had they not eaten of the fruit. Not less technology, more technology, better technology. It would have been completely clean. There would have been nothing to destroy the earth. Our technologies would not have destroyed ourselves in the earth. Instead, technology would build the earth. That creative, imaginative, generative power that we see in humankind even today in Adam and Eve was unpolluted. The garden was always destined to become the city. What went wrong? Now I know we say, Eve ate from the tree. She ate the fruit, right? It wasn't about the fruit. What was the first problem? You say, she's talking to a serpent, right? You're talking to a snake. That's not a good idea. Just, you know, write that down in your book. If a snake starts talking to you, run. But even that's not the main problem. The main problem is that Eve is strategizing by herself. Eve had never done anything by herself. Adam had never done anything by himself. What characterized the Garden of Eden was a perfect relationship between Adam and Eve and perfect relationship between Adam and God, perfect relationship between Eve and Adam, perfect relationship between Eve and God, perfect relationship between God, Adam and Eve. This, It was this triangle, but it was a perfect triangle and there were no walls. Nobody tried to do anything by themselves, for themselves. Nobody thought for themselves. They said, we're going to do all of this together. Let them have dominion. It's together. The whole mindset of Adam and Eve in the Garden, God's creative mindset that he put within him is, we're going to do this together. What the fall actually did was put a dichotomy between creativity and relationship. Between success and relationship. The serpent is talking to Eve. You can have something that you don't have, Eve. And all the serpent wants to do is just Pull her away. What if Eve would just said, hold on a second, let me go talk to Adam. Let me go get Adam. Adam, we need to talk to God because the serpent is telling me some crazy stuff. Had they returned to community, had Eve returned to community there would have been no chance for the enemy to get in there and to destroy her. Yeah. And now here's what's in Eve's head. The enemy convinced her, this isn't just for me, it's for Adam too. So I'm going to come over here and take this fruit because I want to build something for my family. And if I can do this and succeed in this, it's for my family. Do you see the dichotomy? I'm doing it for my family, but it's actually destroying my family. Hold that thought. Because we've got to talk about this homie that I just learned about recently named Jeffrey Fung. We've got to talk about Jeffrey Fung's phone. Jeffrey Fung moved to San Francisco from Beijing to attend college at the University of San Francisco. He graduated, decided to look for some type of a career path and remain here in the States. But he went home for a few months to visit his family, fell in love with a woman, got married, came back to San Francisco by himself, Because now he needed to become gainfully employed so that he can bring his wife to the city to live. So he starts looking into these different career paths and he discovers Lyft. This was right around the time of the advent of Lyft. And what he discovered was that he could make some good money driving Lyft in the beginning. Matter of fact, he made enough money to go back to Beijing and get his wife and bring her back. But as soon as they got back, he noticed something that in all of these chat rooms, everybody was complaining about the new Lyft algorithm. It's no longer profitable. He goes to a meetup with his friends to find out what's going on, and they find out that they don't know what the pay scale is or what changed, but nobody's making any money anymore. So everybody starts leaving Lyft, all of his friends, his community. But he decides, I'm going to figure this out. And so he starts to research and try to figure out how he can game the system. And guess what he does? He breaks into it, and he figures out exactly where you need to be, exactly how to make money under this new algorithm, and he was killing it. He started making $1,000 a week, and then $1,500, and then $2,000, and then $2,500 a week at his prime. He was making $10,000 a month driving Lyft, and he figured out 2 o'clock in the morning, SFO, club booty, I kid you not, there's a club in San Francisco, and if you go there at 2 a.m., you pick up people, like, that's prime time, you're going to make money. He gamed the system. He figured this thing out, but it required him to give his entire life to this phone. So it got to the point where he was no longer present with anybody. His wife's talking, and he's checking the phone, uh-huh, and he's looking for, is, it, is this a good ride? Is that a good ride? Is it, mm-hmm. uh-huh? He's on the phone all the time. Now watch what happens. One evening, 8 o'clock at night, somewhere around there, 8, 9 o'clock. Now they have three children. His wife is helping one of the children, the oldest child, with his homework. He takes the other two and says, I'm going to go do some driving. This time was Uber Eats. So, or maybe DoorDash. He sees a pizza delivery, grabs it, goes and picks up the pizza, but has to drive into this sketchy neighborhood to deliver the pizza. He parks the car outside the the apartment complex, has the kids in the back watching Shrek 2. So he leaves the motor running because he's only going to be gone two minutes. So he goes up to the door, drops off the pizza, comes down, and there's a man sitting in the driver's seat of his car. And the man's twice his size. He flings the door open. He goes, get out of the car. And he starts wrestling with the guy and wrestling with the guy, but he couldn't move the guy. The guy was too big. And finally, the guy snatched his phone out of his hand and ran. Pause. Jeffrey has a choice to make. Do I go after the phone or do I stay with my kids? That phone is my Everything and it's all for the family. Without that phone, I can't provide for my wife and kids. But without my kids, what do I who do I have no one to provide for? But at that moment, he was so focused on his phone that he chased the man. The man got in a car and he followed the man into the car. And the car drives off, and he's in the backseat fighting the man for his phone. The The car stops three or four blocks down the hill, and the man gives him the phone, and he gets out of the car. And now he realizes he left the door open, the motor running, and his kids up at the top of the hill. Jeffrey Fung runs up to the top of the hill as fast as he can, but when he gets there, the car is gone. He's got his phone, but he lost his family. He's got his career, but he lost his kids. He had to call the police, file a police report. He had to go home and tell his wife that story. In the interview, they asked him, how did your wife respond? You know what his response was? I don't want to address that. Like, oh, you don't have to. We can imagine how your wife responded. You probably still got stitches from what she did to you. He gets an, a call a couple hours later that the car's found, the kids are found, everybody's fine. He goes and picks up the car and the kids, brings them home, and he's so shaken up, and inside he's thinking to himself, I've got to get out of this business. But what does he find himself doing even later in the same night? Checking for eyes. Now he gave it up. He put his family back together. I mean, he had to. He's talking about it now. But I thought to myself, it wasn't Jeffrey's fault entirely. Because we're living in a fallen world with a fallen system, and, and this economy, the way it's set up, if you're going to break through and break, br- break out of the cycles of poverty that you and your family have been in, you have to focus, you have to apply rigor, you've got to figure out how to game the system, you've got to give it your everything, or else you're just going to stay where you are. But then the other side of it is, if you focus and give your all to it, it's going to separate you from your family. Because you cannot give the members of your family your undivided attention and give this system your undivided attention at the same time. You go all the way back to the industrial revolution and something happened where the industrial revolution began to take the father out of the family, take him out of the household, work him 12, 14 hours a day, send him home exhausted. Now he has no emotional energy left to give to his family. And we live in this world in which there's this dichotomy that says if you're going to provide, if you're going to produce wealth, You're going to have to separate yourself from your family. It's going to pull you away from the most important relationships in your life. And now the serpent has drawn us away by the tree. And this time it's not just Eve at the tree. Now it's Adam at the tree. It's it's the husband or it's the wife. And sometimes it's both at two different trees, both listening to the same serpent saying, but you're doing all of this for your family. And now we're so focused on the tree and the fruit and Jeffrey Jeffrey Fung's phone, whatever your Jeffrey Fung phone is, we're losing our families. And we're losing our faith. We're losing our connection. We're losing our right relationships. We're prioritizing success over relationships so much so that if we have right relationship but we don't have success, we feel worthless because the world has told us that success is everything. That primarily your identity is a producer. And this problem right here that I've just identified is what the Bible was talking about when it says keep yourselves free from the love of money and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil the love of money is not the desire to have some hello avoiding the love of money does not mean embracing a situation of poverty listen if you need some money it's okay to say I need me some money And it's okay to desire it. And it's okay to pray for it. It's not okay to leave your kids in the car chasing it down. What we find all the way back to the Garden of Eden is this primary principle. Demonic wealth destroys relationships. But divine wealth builds them. Do you hear that? Yes. The plan is demonic if you're being enticed to pursue wealth in a way that destroys your relationships. Yes. Divine wealth builds relationships. Yes. Divine wealth, the pursuit of divine wealth brings families together, puts families back together again, builds your relationship with God, draws you closer to God, enriches you in community with other believers. Divine, if it's not doing those things for you, it's not divine. Demonic wealth isolates you from community, separates you in your relationship with God, separates you from your family, alienates you from your children, destroys you. But at the end of it, You got money. I got sick to my stomach. I watched this interview with this guy named Florian Holm. And Florian Holm, back in the 90s, was a hedge fund manager who basically swindled his clients out of about $200 million and then fled. And he said in this interview with tears in his eyes, anybody who thinks that money can buy you anything has never had real money. He said, because I had, his, his net worth at, a, at one point was almost a billion dollars. Yeah. He said, I used to take my wife to go to lunch at some of the most beautiful ports in the world and we would look out over the boats and I'd say, which one do you want? And she'd say, I want that one. And I would walk out there and make that man an offer he couldn't refuse and I would buy her any boat she wanted. He said, I would take my family on $3 million vacations and I would work the whole time. He said, but you know what? No matter how much money I have, it can't buy me the smiles of my children. And he starts crying. And it cannot buy me the love of my wife. I lost those things. I lost them. At the end of the day, all money can buy me is meaningless, empty, worthless things. So what's the alternative? The alternative is righteousness. Yeah. Do you know what righteousness is? Righteousness is right relationships. Yeah. That's what righteousness is. Yeah. Righteousness is right relationships. And specifically, righteousness is right relationships in the context... Of enterprise. Here's the concept of righteousness in the ancient world. John and I own two pieces of property that there's a there's a border between our properties and as he and I are walking along the border of our properties we we stumble upon a well that neither of us knew were there. The question is is it his well or is it my well? So we measure the property lines and we discover the well is on John's side of the line. It's John's well. So now John and I make covenant. We're going to cut a covenant. And here's the covenant. Number one, I acknowledge this well belongs to John. Number two, I will not drink from this well without John's permission. Number three, if any of my men or my servants drink from this well without John's permission, I will repay him this amount. And we put those terms into the covenant. We cut covenant with one another. And if both of us adhere to that covenant, it's called righteousness. Righteousness is right relationship it's a way of doing business with one another rightly in a way that builds relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meaning righteousness is being in business while, doing, while, while maintaining right relationships with God, with your family, with your community, and with the world. Yeah. You're righteous if you're doing business but maintaining right relationships with everyone. That's righteousness. And Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes great delight in his commands. His descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. He is scattered abroad, his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever forever. He's patient and he's kind and he's compassionate and generous to all. Do you see this point is made over and over and over throughout scripture that what God is looking for is righteousness and that if we would make righteousness our focus, God will make success our result. We abandon righteousness because we don't trust God. Because we don't believe him to be our blesser. We don't believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so, because we have so much of a problem believing that God wants to bless me, I get it in my head, at the back of my head, I just think, I've got to figure this out for myself. I've got to do this for myself. I've got to make this happen for myself. I've got to do this for myself. And may I say to you, I struggle with this personally. I think we all do to some degree. Because it's so hard for me to believe that God actually wishes to be the author, the one who gives me the power to create wealth. I'll never forget. In March of 2020, March 15th, it was just, it was our, actually it was our last Sunday live in Embryville before we shut down for the pandemic. pandemic. It was a Saturday night and I was trading crypto at the time. And I got on my knees. I said, God, I've got to prepare to preach tonight. I don't have time to look at the charts. Would you please just tell me what to do? And this impression came to my heart. Short Ethereum at $232. I looked at the chart. Ethereum was $217. I set the short for $232 and I went to bed. I mean, I finished. I didn't even look at it. I went to bed. Woke up the next morning and the Lord said, don't even look at it. Just go to church. I went to church. I preached and we had a powerful service that day and when it was over, a brother ran up to me and said, hey, are you in any trades right now? We we had a, a little small community, we were trading together. Are you in any trades right now? I said, well, I set an order last night. I don't know if it even, you know, he goes, take a look. The Lord had told me, don't look at it. But I couldn't help myself. I opened the app, I looked at it. In the middle of the night, Ethereum had gone up to 232, executed my short, and then dumped I was already up five grand. And the brother said, Oh, you got to take profit right now, bro. You got to take profit right now. And I took profit. It went all the way down to $89, meaning I would have made 10 times more profit had I just done nothing. The Lord had given me the instruction. But at a certain point, I stepped out of the flow of obedience to take matters into my own hands. Because for some reason, even though God told me to do it and I did it and it worked, for some reason, I still couldn't believe that God could possibly be in me doing something like margin trading. How could God be a part of that? And so I went from faith to unbelief. And when I went from faith to unbelief, I went from obedience to disobedience. And when I went from obedience to disobedience, now I'm on my own. And guess what happened? I'm jumping in and out and in and out and in and out for the next two weeks. I couldn't sleep at night. I was constantly riddled with anxiety. I was absent to my wife and to my child during that time. I was a terrible pastor and I was I was loose, and I was stressed out to no avail by the end of it. And I ended up trading all of my profits to zero. I know, right? Because I simply couldn't get it in my thick skull that it is God who gives you the power to produce wealth. Yeah. So why not do it with Him? Yeah. Yeah. Why not do it with Him? Yeah. And what's it look like doing it with him? It looks like getting on your knees before the Lord every day, every morning. and Say, God, what are we doing today? Where are we going? Where are we going? And guess what? If he doesn't give you an instruction, then do it again tomorrow. Being patient, walking with God. Adam had to be patient during that time when everyone else could reproduce but him. When everyone else was created but him. Everything else, even plants were more powerful than Adam. Shrubbery. Bushes. The bush that he hid behind had more power than him at that time. And he had to deal with that. He had to endure that. And he had to believe that God hasn't forgot about me. That God hasn't left me. That God still has a plan for me. And then God brought Eve into his life and then took the two of them in front of him and said, hey guys, now I'm blessing you. Yeah. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and take dominion over your environment. Yeah. Order it in ways. There's. Listen to me, folks, there is wealth all around you. It's in your environment right now. The wealth is in your environment. You just need the wisdom of God to order it correctly. You take the stuff that's in your environment, you put it in a different order, and wealth comes out of it. (gasps) You see disorder in your environment. You bring it into order. And all of a sudden you can see clearly and wealth comes out of it. God is giving you the power to produce wealth, but it's already in your environment. All you got to do is pray until God gives you clarity on where it is. Come on, somebody. Two kinds of wealth. Divine demonic. What's your Jeffrey Fung? Jeffrey Fung phone? The thing that tempts you to run away from God. To run away from your family. The thing that tells you if you don't have this, you don't have anything. This is the key. At that moment, that phone became Jeffrey Fung's God. Because he believed if I lose that, I have no power to produce wealth for my family. If I miss this opportunity, there's no way. What if Jeffrey Fung would have just risen up in faith at that moment and said, forget that phone. God will show me a way. Forget Lyft. Forget Uber. In my mind, this looks like the only opportunity I have. If it's lost, you know what? I haven't lost my God. So I'm going to go back to the drawing board and get on my knees and say, God, you show me the way. You show me the way. I'm going to do this with you. I'm going to do this with you. It's not going to take me away from you. I'm going to draw closer to you in the midst of it. It's not taking me away from my family. And I, You know, it's, it's crazy. I sat on my deck a couple weeks ago, and I start writing out, I have this vision for our property. And I'm like designing, redesigning the house, and I got all of this you know, I'm sitting on my deck, and then I had this thought how long will it take me to do this? I'm like, you know, even if I had the money to start now, it'd probably take somewhere between three to five years. Next thought, Alethia's gone in five years. And I thought, so then why do I want all this? For who? For what? Sonny and I, to live in a 4,000 square foot house? You know what I mean? Like, why? And then I thought, you know what I want my priority to be? My family. Like, what if, what if I just gave them my undivided attention and just believed God? But you know what happens as God starts drawing us together? You know what my wife told me earlier this year? She said, the Lord showed me that this is your year. That the dreams that he's put in you are going to begin to come to pass this year. And so every night I've been praying for you. Every night I've been praying over the dreams that he's put in your heart. God, bless my husband and bring them to pass. Oh man, that just blesses my heart to no avail. Because when I see my wife and I, our hearts coming together. Oh, that's the sign. Breakthrough. How can breakthrough not come yeah, yeah. when our hearts are coming together? Yeah. Powerful thing happened in the Douglas household for, for Brian and Maddie. Yeah. Yeah. Where Maddie was just thinking, you know, this is Brian's thing. But Brian Brian is starting a company, by the way. He's got a startup, a powerful startup, an awesome startup. But, Ryan would come to Maddie and say, what do you think about this? She's like, I don't know. It's your thing. He's like, no, I want your input. What do you think about this? I don't know. It's my, it's just your thing. You just do your thing. He's like, no, but we got to do this together. And then pastor Diane came and prophesied over Maddie and said, your husband's thing. It's the two of yours together. It's not just his. You're just as important to it as he is. And she broke down and she started crying, went home and told her husband and he went and gave her a share of the company. And he came back and said, now this is official. This is our thing. Yeah. It's not just my thing. This is our thing. We're going to do this to you. How can God not bless that? Yeah. How can God not bless that? Yeah. That pleases the Lord. Yeah. It pleases the Lord. When we're true to our relationships, when we put, make righteousness the priority. Yeah. When we make righteousness the priority, and we just believe blessing is going to come. The only time we forsake righteousness is if we lose our faith. Yeah. That, that, that God, listen, he's going to bless, he can't help but bless me. I'm his child. You need to get that in your spirit today. Yeah. He's, got, he's got stuff in mind for you yeah. that you couldn't believe. Yeah. Your eyes haven't seen it. your ears haven't heard it. Your mind hasn't conceived it. The stuff that God has prepared for those who love him? are not, little flock. Yes. For it is your Father's good pleasure Amen. to give you the kingdom. Amen. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Yeah. What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles are seeking. Yeah. But you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you as well. For which one of you by worrying can add a single day to his life? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed, as one of these. If this is how God clothes the lilies, which are here today, and tomorrow are thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? (laughs) Amen. 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 Give God a shout of praise. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much that you're speaking to us by the power of your word and your spirit. At this moment, there are dreams that you have for your sons and daughters. Some of us are so intent upon trying to get you to bless our dreams. We haven't stopped to ask you what your dreams are. We haven't stopped to consider that maybe you have something planned for us that's greater than anything we could ever plan for ourselves. We feel pressure to do pressure to perform. Feel like some folks in this room right now just feel like failures. Will I ever break through? Is there anything more that God has for me? Or will I just be stuck at this place for the rest of my life? Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all those lies of the enemy would just dissolve and be replaced with the truth. That My God shall supply all of my needs. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of before you ask. So, Father, if anything happens through this series, I pray that a new confidence would be born in our hearts. I belong to the Lord. That means nothing is impossible. I belong to the Lord. That means that blessing and breakthrough is my destiny. Yes. Lord, you haven't called me to worry about that, but simply to assume that's true and to focus my heart and mind on righteousness. Lord, when you bless me, help me not to forget you. Amen. Yes. When you break through in my life, grant that I would not forget you. Grant that pride wouldn't be born in me, that I would think it was my power and my strength that brought this wealth for me. But help me to remember the Lord my God. It's He who gives me the power to produce wealth. Help me to remember You, Lord. Help me never to forget You. Guard my heart and my ears so that I never get drawn away by the serpent, isolated by the tree. Separated from my primary relationships, strategizing with the serpent about how to get me stuff that I just found out I needed. Shut my ears to the voice of the serpent and give me the wisdom to run back to community. I speak your blessing over these sons and daughters of yours. I give you all the glory. Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen and amen and amen.